2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Here ends the reading. Well, we're going to have a look at what is the essence of grace. Let me start this morning just by expressing the fear I've had over the last few weeks looking at this one verse that I may not actually uh, be able to convey the truth contained in this one single Bible verse as clearly and in its fullness that it actually demands. It's been a tough one. But let us pray, let us pray for comprehension and the depth of this message and the truth about our Saviour. Let us pray. Our loving Father, we come to you to ask that you may open our hearts and minds to this Bible verse, this verse amongst all others, Lord, that we need to understand, we need to comprehend the depth and the wonders of it. And we ask that you will indeed make this happen through the guiding of your Holy Spirit living in our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us begin with a definition of grace. Well, we're not going to look at it according to some man-made, uh, but we're going to look at it uh, according to what actually we know of Jesus. Paul, in this verse, using the term grace, and certainly he's using it in other letters as well, but he uses it as a descriptive to refer to Christ's giving because of his self-giving was motivated by unmerited, spontaneous kindness to undeserving sinners, stemming from a pure and uninfluenced love. That's grace. That act of our Saviour Jesus Christ defines what grace is as giving of its purest form. The passage leading into this verse, Paul has been dealing with uh, the way of giving, giving of ourselves uh, and giving of either our wealth or even our hardship. Dealing what the motivation ought to be and it makes sense therefore that he now brings this teaching to us in this one verse and forms what really brings all of these things together in one. And reading in today's verse is, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. We should be orderly about this, shouldn't we? We can break this into three parts. That's a classic, isn't it? Three-part preaching. Starting with the riches of Christ, then go on to the poverty of Christ, and then finish with the gift of Christ. In the opening lines, Paul uses the whole of the title belonging to our Saviour, our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the incarnate God, and the full title captures the fullness of his person and the work of his person. The Lord's name is above all every name that was given to him by the Father due to the fact that he is the one having accomplished the work of redemption for us. 
And Paul speaks of this, of course, in Philippians 2.9. He says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. See, in his name Jesus depicts him as the saviour of his people, uh, which also Matthew wrote in his uh, gospel in 121. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And Christ, the part of the title, confirms him as the anointed Messiah and King and also confirmed by Matthew when he finishes the gospel in chapter 27. He says, Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him, Are you the King of the Jews? Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied, confirming he is the Lord of Lords. With this he confirms, we can look at the riches of Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, well just how rich would Jesus have been? In Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And he founded it upon the seas and established upon the waters. Or maybe even stronger than that, we had in Colossians. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether powers, thrones, rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. But all that, in the main, is materialistic stuff. And we must, therefore, not also forget to look at his supernatural, his glory, as the one and only Son of God and the fact that he is eternal, being possibly the most important fact, the eternity of Jesus Christ. It's the most crucial truth in all Christology and hence the most crucial truth contained in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he is eternal. See, on reflection on that, in, if on the one hand he was not eternal, just let's say that for a second, then he must not have been there at the beginning. So he would have had to have a beginning of him and he would fall into the category of the created. But we know that this is not the case when we also read further in Colossians, he says, he is before all things and in him all things hold together and he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead so that in everything he might have supremacy. As the sentence says, he is before things. He doesn't say he was, but he is. He is a living God. His eternity offers a clear, powerful and irrefutable proof of his deity and it is only attributed to God himself. In short, he is the creator, not a creature. As as eternal person, as a second person of the Trinity, Jesus also holds the same riches as God the Father, which is also confirmed in Colossians. It says, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Whatever God is, Jesus is. And again in 2.9.10, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, You and I have been given fullness in Christ who is the head over every power and authority. 
In Philippians 2.9, we are told just that. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above all names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. As we were specifically told in 1 Timothy, that Jesus is the Lord of all creation and that when we speak of creation, it also includes the heavens as well as all spiritual realms. Then there are no limits, no limits to his riches. I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And with this firmly in our mind of the riches of Christ, we can then move on to, yet for your sake, he became poor. In Hebrews 2.17 speaks of this transition of Jesus being born as a man. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might have make an atonement for the sins of his people. Jesus had been to be born of a woman and became a creature like his creation. In Matthew 1.18, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, he, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. The son of a woman, but also the son of God, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Just try to let our imagine just flow freely for a second. What would life, what would life have been like for Jesus in heaven before his incarnation? What would it have been like to spend each hour of each day in fellowship with the Father? Words like peace, harmony, happiness, joy springs to mind. Ruling over and sustaining creation with the Father. Life would have been blessed, even good. And then at the right time, he's going to earth to be born as a man and contend with sinfulness. And all around him, contend with temptation, being attacked and tortured, and then to die as a lonely man on a cross of wood. Not for his own sins, but for ours. All, all of this out of love for his people, you and I. He had given up all what he had to live and walk among us that he could fulfill all the requirements of a saviour. But let us not confuse what poor or rich really means in this context. It isn't really focusing on the material at all, but the spiritual. Jesus wasn't actually spiritual poor as such, but he had laid aside the free use of his divine prerogatives. 
Jesus emptied himself, taking on the form of a bond servant and being made in the likeness of man. Which is a kind of an interesting concept when you think of it. When you consider the words used in Genesis 1.26, then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Being in God's image is more about what we appear like, what we look like. Whereas being in God's likeness, in Genesis terms, in God's terms, is to be eternal and righteous. Adam was born to be eternal and righteous, but broke it. And we know what happened to that. We are still born in his image, but we certainly aren't righteous. We're not like him. And that is what Jesus has come to reset, to change. He has come to remove the sinfulness and restore that lost righteousness once and for all his people, all his elect. To accomplish this, he had to give up his privileges and became poor, as it were, as we are. His ministry on earth lasted for around 30-odd years, but we hear for the most about his last four years. And it is during this relatively short time that he starts his teaching and the preparation of his disciples, leading up to the giving, the giving of his most precious gift ever. So that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Peter describes what this rich gift is. Praise be to the God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. That's a gift. Well, the gift is the adoption into his family to be equal inheritors with him, our Lord Jesus. We've been given this promise of eternal gift and we take hold of it and enjoy it when the time is right. That is, when God's time is right. And the day that he sends Jesus Christ, our Lord, back to earth for the purpose of bringing his elect home forever. Again, we have become rich, but not just fully yet. We have been saved through the death of Jesus Christ, but not yet fully. We still have some persevering to do. We still have some suffering to do. We still have some evangelism to do. We also still have some serving to do yet. And yes, we have some things to give up to fully serve our Lord and Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we say we are now rich because he made himself poor for us, it still doesn't mean that we have lots of money or big houses or large plot of land or even maybe a private jet or two. We are spiritually rich and that means we are walking around with God's Holy Spirit, the third person of the Holy Trinity living in us, guiding us. Back in 1 Corinthians, Paul had written, I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and all your knowledge, because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you 
Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gifts. As you eagerly wait for the Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed, he will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. The day he comes back, we will be righteous. And later in the same letter, So then no more boasting about men. All things are yours, whether Paul, Apollos, or Cephas. All the world of life or death, or the present or the future, are all yours. And you are in Christ, and Christ is of God. What we have been enriched with are the blessings of salvation, the forgiveness, the joy, the peace, the eternal life, the light and the glory. This one verse, in the midst of so many other wonderful verses, have been described by one theologian as a Christological gem of incalculable value in manifested diamond as far as outshines all jewels around it. It is an amazing Bible verse with an amazing truth in it. And when you spend some time just focusing on this one verse, you'll come to understand and really truly appreciate its vast scope and its simplicity. Its words are not complex or confusing in any way. And even if you're able to read and draft a message it contains in one reading, the truth it opens up to you may still not be fully comprehended until the day of his return. So deep it is. It proclaims Christ's descent from riches to poverty so that believers like you and I might ascend from poverty to riches. This single verse so totally backs up and strengthens the message Paul has been giving us in urging us to consider what Jesus had to give up to serve you that you may also give something up, that you may serve him. And of course, all of this in light of and response to the enormity of the gift that he alone were able to give us. Indeed, what a saviour we have. What he has given up for us. Let us pray. Our loving Father, we, we struggle sometimes to comprehend the enormity and the depth of the gift of life that you have given us. What you had to endure because of us. We pray, Lord, that as we ponder this verse in our hearts and minds in the years and weeks to come, that we will truly respond in a way that show that we do love you, that we want to honour your name, that we will come together and praise you all the days of our lives. These things we pray in the holy name of our Lord, Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. Amen.